Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claver, your host, and with me today are two co-hosts, Wai Lu. Hey, Wai. Good. The snow is finally melting, so I can almost see my grass. <laughs> All right. And our other co-host, Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Good. Yeah. We got down into the 30s today, like 33, I think, right? Right above freezing with with rain, which is always beautiful. But uh, I guess that's what you get in New Orleans, right? <laughs> You're not going to get snow <laughs> all that often. Has it ever snowed there while you live there? Yes. Yes, it has. Yep. That's okay. Once or twice, but it doesn't stick, right? Doesn't it's stick. just, yeah, yeah you, you see it coming down. But yeah, it is it is rare. But if you go to the North Shore, which right, we're, we're in the bowl of New Orleans, and you have Lake Pontchartrain to the north of us, and the North Shore is suburbs. Yeah, they get snow every three or four years or so. It's just far enough north, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, nice. Anyway. All right. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So you're you're doing a double duty today, Caleb. So you're you're a co-host. Right. You're also a guest. I think well, you know, last a couple uh, times, so you you're probably good at it. <laughs> well, I think last time you guys said I had some work to do, and you weren't sure if you were <laughs> invite me back. <laughs> uh, well, I figured right why I did the last episode on the whole power platform. So I figured I could. I could take a stab at some Blazor stuff, which, right, there there always seems to be something new in Blazor land because it just keeps picking up steam and momentum and new features and functionality and ways of using it. And so today, I actually thought we could talk a little bit about Blazor and JavaScript interop, right? And okay. one of the yeah. big... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, we, we really haven't covered that. You know, we've covered the basics and and new new features and things like that in previous shows, but we really haven't gone into the, the interrupt part of it and uh, maybe working with other frameworks and things like that. So, yeah, sounds cool. interesting. Where should we start? So, I think probably one of the reasons why we haven't talked about JavaScript interrupt and maybe it doesn't get as much fanfare is right. the whole point of Blazor is to not have to do JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, right, or at least that—that that was one of its big selling points. But yeah, so we so we should start off with when should you use interop? Well, you're going to have to use it in certain instances. So, right, the WebAssembly standard doesn't currently have uh, full access to the DOM, and so that means you're going to have limitations when it comes around things like geolocation or 
local storage, that kind of stuff, right? And so what you end up having to do is you have to go through JavaScript through those. What I think most people don't realize is that in order to for your page to load and for the Blazor to get the WebAssembly, the WASM and all that uh, up and running, it actually talks through JavaScript to talk to the DOM to get all this stuff set up and the UI updated. So you're using JavaScript whether you realize it or not. Down the road, as they evolve WebAssembly, which they're planning on doing and giving it more access and bringing it in line with JavaScript, some of this will go away. Uh, but there are instances where where it's it's needed and you're going to have some form of JavaScript layer to get some of this functionality, right? So the next thing when it comes to to this stuff is Blazor has interface for JS runtime, which allows you to invoke functions, make asynchronous calls back and forth. It allows you to, to send and retrieve data, right? Which you would just do it behind the scenes anyway, but you're going to need for this functionality. And that led us to try a proof of concept, which has been done before. And that is taking web components and getting those to work inside of Blazor. And when I say web components, I actually mean the the HTML definition, which I can actually read it, right? It's a set of features that provide a standard component model for the web, allowing for encapsulation and interoperability of individual HTML elements. And so the idea is you end up creating your own custom tags, very similar to how you do it at Angular or React or Vue, and you inject those into the page, the same way that Blazor does kind of the component model setup, right? So is it basically the advantage is, of that is that it, it's framework? Yes, it is. Right? It's like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So that's how you can angle it. I'm sorry, Blazor can... Yeah, it's, right, it's basically HTML and JavaScript. And if necessary, if you wanted, you can bundle CSS in there too. And it's portable. The All the current browsers will recognize this content as long as you provide it the actual files to load that content and it, it'll work out of the box in any application pretty much. It's actually an interesting side note is that Angular IO, their website where they do all their, their documentation and workflows, the majority of that is Angular web components. And the reason being is you can manage this website and you can be a doc writer or do tutorials and not have to know necessarily how to build your own Angular app or all the intricacies that go into web component. You just know the inputs and outputs, and you can build stuff that way. And Angular calls this Angular elements. What it ends up being is a web component. So what we did was we already have several Angular applications running because we we have a couple of teams inside the company. We have a couple of teams that are contract and the contract teams have been doing mostly Angular stuff. And so, and I think I've told you guys, we've got like, between services and apps, we've got like 100. It's a ridiculous number. But we're wanting to consolidate that down. And when I was hired, we decided that we wanted to move forward using Blazor, right? Because the majority of our internal team is, is .NET framework or .NET and C-sharp focused. And Blazor gives us that, that ability to be able to learn its version of Razor and then be able to use our C-sharp knowledge and kind of right go to town. But we had to figure out a bridge between Angular and Blazor. And, or they wanted a bridge, 
right? For instance, if we have this uh, Angular application that has a bunch of components and we want to be able to reuse those until we can rebuild them in Blazor, how are we going to do that? And we actually got a working model, which is which is really interesting because you end up doing uh, a deep dive into a JavaScript interrupt inside of Blazor. And so what you do is you have your your normal Angular components. Uh, they're doing their their stuff, inputs, outputs, event emitters. And there are certain steps you have to take inside of Angular to be able to export these. But you can export them as custom components, web components. And then you you reference the JavaScript, the polyfills, and the Angular code, as well as your elements in at the bottom of your index. And then you can reference those tags in any of your Blazor components, right? And they could be as simple as an Angular component that takes an input. And when when the website loads, the Angular component is seamless, right? You have an Angular input and you pass in a variable like your name into that the property on that tag. And when the the browser loads up, that Angular is transparent. You really can't tell just by looking at it what's Angular and what's not. And it's going to show you your name that came from Blazor into the Angular component, right? And that's... I guess by then it's already a... a yeah, it's a, it's a web component at that point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all fine and good, right? But that's that's kind of got limited use, right? Most of your Angular components are going to be more complex. And so, right, we had to actually do some tests where we're passing in like JSON data, right? Or you get a call, you call an API from Blazor and you need to be able to pass those objects into this web component. And it's really interesting how, how they've done this because what you end up doing is you have your own custom JavaScript where you can write, you can build your own functions that hang off the DOM. And if you need to talk back and forth, you not only pass in this object, this data, but you pass in uh, a .NET reference. And it's actually called .NET reference. And it's a reference to to this component or the, the contents of that Blazor component. And so if you, say you have a chart widget, right? That's, that's in Angular. And you like the way it looks and like the functionality, uh, but there's functionality built into it, right? You click events or filtering or whatever right? You can actually have that loaded on the screen. And when you do button events, it's going to emit those events. You're, you're going to have an event listener and it's going to trigger those events and actually return the data to Blazor through that .NET reference. And then Blazor can manipulate code outside of the web component to do whatever you want it to do. So there's there's a lot of, of power that's built into it. One thing that we're going to have to figure out as we go, right, is our existing Angular components, they're not dumb components, right? They typically have a good deal of functionality, and they may be calling their own Angular services, right, using RxJS or whatever. And we're going to have to look at how how we're going to manage that, because this Angular services we're not going to bring over, right? They're, they're not going to be compiled into the component, and there's no way, at least that I found at this point, to to be able to manage them separately. So we're going to end up having to do those API calls in that state management in Blazor or in C-sharp uh, classes versus doing them in Angular services. 
What about the payload? Like, is each Angular element that you've converted to a web component have basically the entire Angular framework on there? You could. Oh. I wouldn't. I would advise against it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pay, <laughs> payload is something you have to factor in. And that's actually where when you build out the Angular elements, right, and you get your dist folder, you can determine how the JavaScript is broken up. And what I've done is I have uh, two JavaScript files that are strictly Angular-based, right? The polyfills that it needs for certain browsers, and then the Angular code, which is just main.js. Between the two of those, right, it's, you know, maybe a little over a meg. And then I have a separate JavaScript file that actually houses all of the web components. And, of course, that file can get fairly large, depending on how many you have or you're, you're pulling in. And there's really no tree-shaking for that, but that JavaScript can then reference the separate polyfill in main and not have that that load every single time. Now, for each Blazor component you go into, that JavaScript, those web components are going to have to be initialized. But in my testing, it's really there's really no performance difference between it and Blazor. Of course, we haven't done you know extreme edge cases or anything, but it performs well at this point. So. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software. And our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front-end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. So it's really the main use of it is just uh, for bringing over components that you don't have in Blazor. Could it be, you know, like third-party components that they wrote it uh, for some for some JavaScript framework, like maybe some bootstrap components or things like that, and you can interrupt with those with Blazor? Yeah. Yeah, if you if you needed to, you definitely could. Like like I said earlier, right? Blazor is growing by leaps and bounds, and the 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 additions they're adding to it and the features. So there there are a ton of components that will do right anything you could do, or almost anything you can do in, in Angular or React using Bootstrap or or whatnot. But I do see this as a as for. People who have a lot of SPA frameworks, a lot of JavaScript apps, and they want to transition, this is kind of a bridge, or it could be. The One of the interesting things about .NET 6 is some of the additions they've added to Blazor is you can now actually export Blazor components as web components and then reuse them in Angular or React apps if you want to, <laughs> or any app, right? So it, it goes both ways. But I see, right, they're trying to make it it's easy to transition as possible if you want to transition and you and the majority of your your developer knowledge is in C sharp. One of the other interesting things that we ran across, uh, at least I find it interesting, but I'm also a, a designer, a UI guy, is you can have an Angular app that, for instance, say is using Material Design, right, and the Material NPM packages and all that stuff, 
And you can actually change the styling in those components to use Bootstrap styling, but never install Bootstrap in Angular. And when you create the web components, you have Bootstrap running a Blazor, and you add that Angular component, the web component, it's going to pick up the Bootstrap CSS because it has the right styles and style itself appropriately for Bootstrap without Bootstrap ever being inside of the Angular application and vice versa. You can not have material inside of Blazor at all, right? Because especially with material for Angular, you can get beyond just the CSS, right? They have their own web components that have JavaScript and all that extra stuff in them where when you click on an input, the the title or the, the field goes up above the input. All that functionality, you can get that in Blazor through Angular without ever having to install any material stuff inside the Blazor application, uh, which is is an interesting workaround, I guess. Uh, if you again, if you're trying to transition, you're trying to match up styles between two disparate apps. So, so do you see the use case of this as more like 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 what you're doing, basically converting like legacy apps into um, to run on like new Blazor apps, or do you do you kind of foresee maybe like Maybe you have two teams or one one team working on Blazor and then one team developing like new Angular, like Angular components and all that stuff into and, and turn that into web components. Look at that second both. use case would work. Yeah, I think think both are perfectly valid use cases. Because all right, in a lot of cases you may have a React app that you have no intention of converting to Blazor, right? But then you have a whole separate team that's creating a new app and they're like, hey, we want to do this in Blazor, but we want to be able to use some of our existing components and, and match the look and feel, right? You could cherry pick, and I'm not sure how React actually builds their web components or if they have, they have that functionality, but in Angular, you can cherry pick the components you want and pull them into Blazor and vice versa, right? If you end up building this awesome grid in Blazor with, with all the functionality that you want, filtering, sorting, whatever, and you want to be able to reuse it, you can reuse it inside of a React or Angular app. I, I do see this more as it's your code, use it the way you want to use it kind of thing, right? Mm. And so the, I guess the, the possibilities really are endless. It just depends on how your, like you said, how your teams are set up, what's your area of expertise and where you, what your roadmap, roadmap is, where you're looking to go. And there's a few other things in Blazor and .NET 6 that I think people are going to begin to use more and more, become more common as people get used to to all the additions. Because honestly, there there's a ton of changes in, from .NET five to .NET six. I mean, if you're if you're migrating, it's pretty straightforward. But the but the functionality that that you can do and and how you can segment out your JavaScript has changed. Right, you can isolate JavaScript to a specific Blazor component. You can also now with .NET 6, initialize some JavaScript before the Blazor app is even loaded. And Blazor knows how to take that that JavaScript, that content, and initialize it properly so you don't have to wait to get access to the DOM. So there's all kinds of cool stuff. I, I appreciate the effort they put into making Blazor work with JavaScript as, as well as they have. So... I think it's the only way for it to succeed, to, to be honest. Like, like JavaScript's been around for so right. long. 
there's that such a big ecosystem of developers and 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 existing components and all that stuff. You really can't get away with having a framework that doesn't interrupt with it for it to succeed. So it's actually really good to see it to see this happening. Did you so what you're doing, is it like it sounds like it's pretty cutting edge. Like is this like based on like some sort of Microsoft kind of pattern that they've published or have you kind of just like experimented and just done your own thing and just- so it's i don't think it's anything they've officially published but like, uh, but like i said I'm, I'm not the first one that, that came up with this there's actually uh dan roth uh, actually has a a github repo out there that he dubbed uh blangular which is blazer and angular it's three years old mm-hmm. it's yeah, right it's it's fairly ancient when it comes to to development but but it gives you the idea of how you get those to work and I also found I found a resource on Think Texture where they they did something similar. Um, and I I can add these links to the show notes for those who are interested. But right, so so it was one of those things. I took a couple of odds and ends pieces here and there, saw how they did it, and was able to build on it to kind of meet our initial needs. I'm sure that's going to grow right as we figure out the the Angular service stuff and RxJS. But it's been a it's been an interesting project. It's been a lot of fun and. I actually have a proof of concept that I need to get up on GitHub. I just haven't done it yet because I got to clean it up and, you know, remove all the company related stuff. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. so what kind of lessons have you learned uh, doing this? You know, are there things that you can't do or things you have to watch out for? Well, yeah, it's, I guess, technically there are very, well, there, I was going to say there's very few limitations when it comes to this, but it's, it's more of uh, being smart about how you use it. Right. I mean, you could jam, five Angular components into one page and be passing all this data and stuff in and maybe the performance tanks because there's just too much going on and there's just too much talking back and forth. I also uh, would recommend if you're doing this, right, and you have, you ha- uh, one thing you have to do with this is you're going to have to write your own custom JavaScript to allow Blazor and your web components to talk. So you're going to have to know JavaScript if you, if you really want to get into this. And a uh, suggestion there is, right, don't don't hang a bunch of fu- uh, functions right off the DOM, right? Don't use global variables. Don't. I mean, all this is common JavaScript stuff. How you you keep things clean and performant, right? Create a create your own module hanging off the DOM and put all your functions inside of that. And right, you're going to have to keep in mind the not so much the, the security implications, but right, JavaScript and and Blazor right, have their own access to the DOM, to the browsers. And so, you know, you might come across an issue where, you know, there's a mismatch there and you're not getting the results or the look and feel you want. And and if that happens, then, yeah, you're going to have some interesting debugging and in, in digging into your Angular app and making sure that there's no issues there and then how Blazor interrupts with that. I do think maybe this is a little little bit of the wild, wild west, you know, it's you're kind of you're rolling your own, but I do see the 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 possibilities and the the functionality that you can get out of this, especially between multiple teams, to be worth the investment. So yeah, you probably don't want to put your your Angular elements into every row of a grid that's got a hundred thousand elements or something like that in there. So that's agreed. Probably something not not smart to do. Right. So I think, again, like you just said, a lot of it comes down to common sense and knowing your limitations. Because, right, the whole point is getting a quality application out to your clients or your users that has good performance with 
as little development time on you as is reasonable. And again, I long term, I wouldn't wouldn't take an Angular app, export all these components to Angular Elements, and then plug them into their own separate Blazor components and just call it a day. And you know, and hey, here's here's your new app. You're you've got Blazor running, but it's really still just Angular. I would take that next step and then convert those web components to actual C sharp Blazor components. But as, uh, for us, I think it's going to be a good bridge going forward. And it's interesting because the, our contract teams actually did a demo last week or two weeks ago going over this proof of concept. And even though most of them are very familiar with Angular, they also have .NET C-sharp background. And several of them were like, man, I've been, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> I'm like, when do we get started? So it's going to be good. And I, I'll keep y'all updated on this. <laughs> on the status we'll see we'll see how it goes it sounds pretty exciting so sounds like it's yeah really cutting edge it's fun stuff right this i guess this is one of the perks of my job is i I get to go off on these adventures and and see what actually (laughs) what actually works (laughs) and there were enough resources out there to get me started that actually you know worked well for instance uh dan's which Sean added to the show notes. So you guys will have it to to get it to where we could actually use it in a production environment and be comfortable with it. So, all right, cool. Well, yeah, yeah. definitely keep us updated. You know, we, we only see you like every week. So, <laughs> so sounds cool. good. All right. Yeah. You guys ready for picks? Sure. All right. I just got to figure out all what right. the heck my pick is. <laughs> <laughs> preparedness, preparedness. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So uh, I'll go first. I guess my pick is going to be the new merger of Microsoft and Activision. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see you know how that goes. You know, I'm I'm a big uh, Blizzard fan. I like Diablo and things like that. So, be interested to see what happens with with those projects and where Microsoft takes it. But it's nice to see Microsoft kind of going yeah. in there head first with the uh, game stuff now. Well, you know, they've fifty nine billion dollars there. Right? So, I can't believe they're worth that much. <laughs> well, no, I I think they probably overpaid, but they can afford to do that, right? And they they bought Bethesda. Hmm. The year before, or the beginning of last year, so yeah, there, there is there. There's a bunch of questions: Are, are they going to add World of Warcraft to the Xbox Game Pass, and are they going to port it to to console and all kinds of stuff? So, time will tell, right? But yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. All right, why? What's your pick? So this week, my pick is actually the Amazon Fire Stick, which I kind of just picked up because it was like really cheap on my Amazon Prime thing, and it's like. I don't know. I don't even know why I bought it because I've already got an Android <laughs> TV 
thingy, but like it's just like so much better oh. than the Android one. Like, um, it's so much smoother and yeah. So I think maybe because my Android one was actually pretty old and it was a little bit like flaky or something like that. But yeah, and I'm really enjoying the being. I've never actually been in the, the Amazon kind of ecosystem kind of thing, and yeah, so it feels like the look and feel of it's a lot more mature than the Android one. So yeah, cool. Yeah, but, cool. All right, Caleb, have you came up with a pick? I have. This is actually a food, a foodie pick, and, and, and it may be a southern foodie pick. I don't know if you guys have ever had French onion dip, like with potato chips, right? My family were were big snackers, and so right, we we like potato chips or Fritos and French onion dip, right? It's it's like sour cream, but it's a it's a dip that's got its own taste, and not all brands are equal, right? They're not, they're not all the same, and the best. Uh, French onion dip I've ever had, and sometimes could be hard to find. It's called Hell of a Good Dip. <laughs> so, my pick is uh, Hell of a Good Dip. So, if you haven't tried it, you should try it. If you can get it in Australia, why? Let me know. <laughs> okay. Does it go good with veg- Does it go good with Vegemite? <laughs> I don't know about Vegemite, but you know, hey, if you want to use celery instead of chips, if you want to try to be a little healthy, uh, celery works too. <laughs> Very cool. All right, Caleb, if you, uh, people have questions and they want to ask you questions, like I said, yeah, ask you questions I th- about questions. I, th- I think I have a, a Twitter account uh, out there somewhere. It's uh, Caleb Wells Codes. Uh, right. And, you know, if uh, you, can, you can get on GitHub and ping me on one of my repos, I'm also on LinkedIn. I think all my stuff gets thrown into the bottom of the show notes, but I'm all over the place. So, yeah. Hey, if you have any questions and, and I can, I can uh, help, I would love to chat. Okay. And if our listeners have uh, feedback for the show, they can reach out and get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks, Y. Yeah. Yeah. Nice show. All right. Man, we'll catch everybody show. else on the next episode of Ventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.